0: The title of my sermon is, The Far Far Away Nearby. The Far Away Nearby. In 1987, I had this unexplainable urge to go to the desert. I didn't know why. I'd never been to the desert before, but there was a tug that was almost unbearable. It made no sense at all. It came out of the blue. I had not read about the desert. I had not watched a movie about the desert. I had not looked at any art about the desert. It came out of nowhere. And there was no internet, no Google in 1988. (laughs) At best, you had to go to the library and look up books and articles. My first contact with Richmond Hill was to call and ask them if they knew of a retreat place in the desert. They didn't know either. Five years later, I'm sitting in an intro to pastoral care in seminary, and the professor mentions the desert mothers and fathers, Charlie Brown. After class, I headed straight for the library card catalog, card catalog, <laughs> and, and looked them up and found what I was looking for, The Wisdom of the Desert by Thomas Merton. This book introduced me to the men and women who lived in the deserts of Egypt, Palestine, Arabia, and Persia in the fourth century BCE. They were the first Christian hermits who abandoned the cities of the pagan world to live in solitude. The fact that the Emperor Constantine was now Christian and had declared Christianity the state religion and that the world was coming to know the cross as a sign of temporal power was purely and simply a disaster to them. The Desert Mothers and Fathers seemed to have doubted that Christianity and politics could ever be mixed to such an extent as to produce a fully Christian society. They were men and women who didn't believe in letting themselves be passively guided and ruled by a decadent state and who believed that there was a way of getting along without slavish dependence on accepted conventional values. But they did not reject society with proud contempt as if they were superior to others. On the contrary, one of the reasons why they fled was because in that world, people were divided into those who were successful and imposed their will on others and those who had to give in and impose, and be imposed upon. The society they sought was one where all were equally and truly equal, where the only authority under God was charismatic authority of wisdom, experience, and love. What they sought most of all was their own true self in Christ. So now, after reading this, I said, now what am I supposed to do with this? Five years later, 1997, I got another piece of the puzzle. I was on a spiritual direction program at Pecos Benete- Benete- Monastery in Pecos, New Mexico. There was a monk visiting the Pecos Monastery from the Monastery of Christ in the Desert in Abiquiu he invited us to come visit. I'd never heard of Abiquiu, but I was intrigued and I convinced a classmate to take him up on his invitation. Wednesdays were our free days, so we armed ourselves with paper maps. The two of us headed out for the 90-minute, 70-mile road trip right after breakfast. Heading north on 25, then 84 through Santa Fe and Española, we entered the small town of Abiquiu and the scenery changed. Out in front of us loomed huge, multicolored and multi-layered mesas that took our breath away. Layers of color ranged from deep rust to pale peach to lemon yellow. They were spectacular, intimidating and comforting with all their sense of strength and timelessness. Formed 100 to 228 million years ago, they looked like huge locomotives silently moving across the desert. We had to pull over and stand in silence before them. And for some reason, I felt like I was at the bottom of the ocean. I was told later that I was, about 100 million years ago. It was the bottom of the ocean. The road to the Monastery of Christ in the Desert is about three miles, but it takes you at least 45 minutes to get there because the road is narrow and curvy as you wind down into the Chama River Valley but the view is so spectacular, we didn't care. When we got to the monastery, we sat through prayers in the chapel as the monks chanted. Through the window behind the altar, we could see a multicolored mesa directly in front of us. It was all I dreamed and more. We made two more trips that summer to the monastery with classmates because we talked about it so much they had to go see it for themselves and we didn't mind going again. 13 years later in 2010, I had the same sensation when my shuttle passed these magnificent maces on my way to a Holy Week retreat at Ghost Ranch, an education and retreat center once owned by the United Presbyterian Church in PCUSA until 2006. Ghost Ranch is located across the highway 84 from the Monastery of Christ in the desert. I was going to celebrate the Easter vigil at the monastery. It was on this trip that I found that special place that thin place that spoke to me. It was at the crest of the hill where the cabin was built for the movie, City Slicker, and the Magnificent Seven with Denzel Washington. (laughs) Leave it to the cinematographers to find the most dramatic view, and it is. I watched the sunrise from that vantage point and it was breathtaking. My whole perspective changed about time and space. It wasn't that it was that far from the main road, yet the cars looked like little ants as they passed by, and the cliffs that were even further away than the cars looked closer. Last August, I drove myself to another retreat at Ghost Ranch. Listen to the desert and your inner voice. Getting there was much harder than I remembered. It's this high desert country, and I didn't realize until I was driving on previous trips As when I was a passenger, I was so absorbed in the landscape, I didn't notice the uphill climb. It took longer than I thought, and the landscape didn't seem as friendly. I think it was because I was reading The Solace of Fierce Landscapes by Belden Lane in preparation for the retreat. The desert is fierce. You can die of thirst, lose your sense of direction. It doesn't care whether you live or not. It is what it is. To survive, you have to pay attention to the things that are important for your survival, so you have to empty yourself of the things that are distracting. But the stillness and quiet was still there. The Mesa single signaled entrance into a world of prehistoric presence. There was one particular Mesa I kept looking for because of its looming presence and its vibrant red, orange, and yellow layers. It wasn't until I took the curve into Abiquiu that it came into view with all its majesty and power. Even though I was still looking for it the whole time I was driving, it took my breath away when I find it finally came into view. The phrase ancient of days came to mind as I drove past it. There were people who had stopped on the side of the road to pay homage. There were only three of us on the retreat and the retreat leader. Two others had to cancel at the last minute. We stayed for a week at Casa del Sol, which at one time had been the private home of the Bennett family who were part owners one time, at one time of Ghost Ranch. The house next door was where Georgia O'Keefe used to live. Our retreat, leader was Sabina, an artist therapist and artist who was German and lived in Switzerland. The two other participants were a clergy couple from Chicago Sabina introduced the concepts of places of safety and or silence and creating symbols and words for each. We talked about the different kinds of silence. Silence of a group, silence by yourself in the city and in the country. We discussed different kinds of silence in nature, in the forest, desert, snow, mountain, ocean. She asked us to identify places of safety and, and or silence in our lives and describe them with words. Then she gave us crayons and paper and asked us to paint our silence within. When she looked at my art, she said, you need a bigger piece of paper. I asked why and she said, you have too much energy to express. She gave me a flip chart, some flip chart paper and I was surprised she was right. My silence was silenced hurt and pain. Hurt and pain of my own, my family, and my ancestors. That flip chart sheet was covered with red, pain, black, hurt, and blue, coping. And up in a corner was a little patch of purple. when she asked me what that meant, I said that was remote hope. I had been t- totally taken off guard by what I drew. I did not know I was carrying that much pain. I knew a lot of what I was feeling was related to the toxic political environment we are in now. Generationally, I knew that some of the pain was mine and some of it was my ancestors. After the art session, Sabrina said, find a spot and visit it often during the week to see what the land is saying to you. I immediately went to the cabin. We are all familiar with Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heaven among the heaven I will be exalted on the earth exalted in the earth Well the desert or should I say the desert makes you be still So I stood there slowly turning in a circle and looking at the landscape in silence As I kept turning in a circle the loud the land spoke to me and said Before you call I will answer while you are still speaking I will hear I am before all things and in me all things hold together. I am big enough and old enough to hold your pain. Let it go and leave it here. Now I know some of my friends would take off their shoes because they would be standing on holy ground or fall on their knees and weep or lay out prostrate on the ground, but I didn't. My at reaction was a question. What am I gonna do when I get back home? I said, in other words, what will you replace this with? The answer I got was peace. I wanted to push it further by asking and how are you gonna do that? But I decided against that. (laughs) The experience taught me that you can be still and silent in the midst of interruptions and distractions if you focus. There was a road grader smoothing out the driveway after the rain the night before. People stopped to read the sign and look at the view. Some people thought it was the Welcome Center and I was the host. And then there were flies. I was told at the front dress when I checked in that in August, it is the rainy season and that's when the flies come out. There were flies, people, and noise all around me. But what I heard was, there will always be interruptions and distractions, but I'm still here, I never left. You can always come back, I will be here. Focus on being here. It is monotonous, but in the monotony is the revelation. All of us had been to Ghost Ranch before with fond memories, romantic memories. We all had our bubbles burst. Sabina encountered a rattlesnake right outside the front door where we were staying. She was on her way out and heard the rattle, slammed the door, and called the front desk. I was the first to come back. They had just captured the snake. It was in the woodpile by the door. Snakes eat mice. There were mice in the house. Sabrina was upset with the lack of cleanliness from the mice and the snakes that hunted them. Kent and Vicki, the the clergy couple, realized they physically couldn't hike all the trails they thought they could. And I became aware of mice and rattlesnakes. That's the dark side of the desert. The fierce landscape, as Belden Lane calls it. And one must, he cautions, be hyper-vigilant and learn quickly what is important to pay attention to for survival and what is not. Rattlesnakes and mice are part of the desert too, not just the stars and the horizons and the vistas and the mesas. In a way it's sad, but in a a way it's real. All of us know desert Christians that have never been to Egypt or Abiquiu, but they have known intimately the parched and cracked land of the AIDS hospice, the steep cliffs beyond waiting rooms of radiation oncology. Through their struggle with cancer and AIDS, they have acquired much of their attentiveness, explored many of the deep caves of indifference mapped out in, by desert Christians centuries before them. We know others who live in bombed-out wastelands of projects in inner-city neighborhoods. People who have tread the high country of abuse and poverty and prejudice dealing with levels of indifference for which we have no language. They dwell in the harsh desert of addiction and mental illness, know the sustained pain of unemployment, divorce, physical disability. The possibilities of desert experience in contemporary life are more varied than we can imagine, and yes. There is a great distinction between voluntary and involuntary desert experiences. Between those who can intentionally embrace vulnerability to the harsh landscapes that contain rattlesnakes and mice and those who are born in situations where they encounter rattlesnakes, mice, and scorpions in human form every day. On the way to the cabin after one morning session, I let my inner voice stop me and parked in front of a mesa a short distance from Casa del Sol. I started crying and I didn't know why. These words came to me while I was looking at the mesa. Strength, majesty, massiveness, cathedral, almighty, and then the words to the hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper here amid the flood of moral ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek the work we us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Let me put this in context. My stay at Ghost Ranch was the week after Charlottesville. After seeing the neo-Nazi waving flags and the salute and after watching the police let the fighting happen, after watching over and over again the car plow into the crowd and kill a young woman, and after having people glaze, oh, eyes glaze over when I said I was from Virginia, this message was right on point for me. The bulwark was saying, I will always be here. I was here before you were born, before this country was born. If you need to be reminded that I'm here, remember this place. I will be here after everybody leaves. Sitting in the courtyard at Casa del Sol on the last day of the re- retreat, I didn't get a sense that I of coming back again, but I sensed the land saying I will always be here for you to remember. I'm not going anywhere. I'm a major milestone in your journey. You will take me in your memories and photos. I'm a visual reminder of strength and silence and power and presence. I am the slowest of time in shaping things, and the evidence of radical upheaval that occur. Georgia O'Keeffe called this land the faraway nearby, a beautiful, untouched, lonely feeling place. Nearby in its size and proximity, and far away in its evidence of time and creation. Some of the mesas look like locomotives, like the Santa Fe train. I call them my mountain trains, because there's a sense of stationary movement through time and space that is both Prehistoric and present, physically nearby, but far away in time. For me, it was like experiencing God's immediate presence and eternity at the same time. What's so funny about this whole 30 year desert experience is that I'm not a nature person, I don't like the outdoors. Too many bugs, much less mice and rattlesnakes. So for me, this whole desert experience is totally out of character, But it is the only spe- and it is the only experience with nature in which I am profoundly aware of God's presence. All of us need to have a place where we can be still and know that God is present, where we can hear God say, before you call, I will answer, immediate presence. While you are still speaking, I will hear the nearby. When you hear God say, I am before all things far away and in me, all things hold together nearby. So I'm going to close with a few questions for you to ponder. Do you have a special place where you become aware of God in a way that you have never had before? How did it feel when you were there? What did the place say to you? Is it a place close by that you can visit often? Is it a place you can only visit once, but it still calls for you to come back? Is it a place far away nearby that you can close your eyes and see? Do you need to go there now? Amen.